Hi everyone and salam. This is Arzo and you're listening to Truth Talk with the Real American Afghan. Thanks for joining me and listening to episode number three. Today's episode is going to be on divorce. And I've shared a little bit about my experience with divorce, with the divorce of my parents on uh, podcast number one. Um, But I just want to talk about it just a little bit in general. Um, In the Afghan community here in America, the divorce rate has like extremely significantly skyrocketed. And in the first podcast, I talked about how when my parents got divorced at the time, it was the 90s. um, We were probably the first Afghan family that had experienced divorce. And being a small child, witnessing my parents experience that and kind of go through that, um, it was was a very challenging thing. And I'll, I'll talk about that Um, And then just a little bit about just the current state of kind of what's kind of going on and what I see. Um, So, so in our situation, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because in Afghanistan people, what do you do? You just get married. It's, that's what you do. There is nothing else to do, but getting married. Um, You know, it's not like America where you have choices. You can choose not to get married or you can choose to get married later or whatever you want. Um, but in Afghanistan, that's, you know, you get to a certain age and it's time. You get married, you have a baby, and, you know, you continue building the community. That's just the normal thing that happens. And my parents, like most of your parents, if you're my age, got married in Afghanistan. And um, through my mom worked at a bank with my um, with my with my aunt, the one that I mentioned who she was like my roommate, um, they were like close friends and she introduced, um, my mom to her brother, which is my dad. And my dad was like, really, my dad's still really good looking, but like, if you saw his pictures when he was younger, he was like freaking hot, like so handsome, so good looking, green eyes, um, And so charming. My dad is so charming. Like, I mean, he's likable, great smile, um, just knows how to connect with you and knows how to talk to you. Um, And so they got married, they got engaged. And after they got engaged, my mom realized she didn't want to be with my dad. And she didn't know what to do. And unfortunately, and again, I talked about this in the first podcast, and I kind of can't believe I'm sharing this publicly, but it's not a secret. So, um, and I know other families experience this. And one of the biggest problems I think in our culture is we don't talk about stuff. Everything goes back to alo badas nago, alo nomofomilmo, alo, you know, kuligichi hot bugoya. Like, who the f cares? I'm so over that. And because it's not getting us anywhere in Afghanistan, like I said, there's maybe there were certain cultural things that like, you know, we had to abide by and whatever, but there's so many toxic things that have come about from this, not talking about it and sweeping it under the rug. It's not normal and it's not healthy. And, um, so guess what people, 
I'm going to make it uncomfortable <laughs> and I'm going to start talking about a lot of things. So anyways, um, my dad was an alcoholic, you know, he grew up in a very wealthy, you know, prominent family and they had a lot of things available to them in Afghanistan. Um, his father had died when he was really young and, um, you know, they had a good time. Uh, they, I mean, I, I don't know if a lot of the young people even realize this, but like in like the sixties and seventies, Afghanistan was considered like the Beirut of the Middle East. And it was like the place to be. It's where the hippies traveled to for vacation. Um, they partied and everyone had a good time. And, um, it, I don't know how close you guys are to your parents and families, but if you ask them, a lot of people had a very, you know, the disco lifestyle that happened in America, it happened in Afghanistan too in the 60s and 70s. So if you sit and talk to your parents and ask them, you know, those kinds of questions, they might share it with you. But they were all in there. Everyone was doing stuff and, um, you know, drinking and smoking cigarettes and, you know, marijuana and all kinds of stuff. Um, and guess what? Dating each other. Yeah. Uh-huh. Your parents all dated one another in private, in secret. And you guys are all thinking that like, you know, everything was chloscotty. And yes, it was, but everyone dated. So um, that's a, another topic. <laughs> but, um, so anyways, uh, in that environment. So yeah, you know, my dad was drinking and other people were drinking alcohol. And so um, unfortunately, he was an alcoholic from a young age. And um so when my mom kind of realized that and realized she didn't want to marry him, she didn't know what to do because she was already engaged to him. And she comes from a prominent family and she was afraid like, well, what, you know, what should I do? What if I go to my father and tell him I don't want to get, you know, married, then what's going to happen? So she never said anything and she got married to my dad. And, um, they didn't have a good marriage. They were married for 10 years and it was an unbearable 10 years for both of them and for us as children. Um, and I know again, in the first podcast, I mentioned how I have a good relationship with both my parents. I love both my parents and I choose to have a good relationship with them and talk to them and communicate with them. Um, but like they did a number on, on us and, the experiences that we had with them, it has impacted us a lot. And it's one of the reasons why I want to get on here and talk about this stuff, because I know other families go through stuff too, and nobody's talking about it. And everyone's sweeping stuff under the rug and it, and it shouldn't be swept under the rug. Um, we need to talk about it. We need to address it. And if we don't, then the system and the cycle perpetuates itself and people end up having anxiety and depression issues and suicidal issues and things like that. And, and, it, and it, it, you know, and then they continue treating their kids one day, you know, in a similar way or their spouses because they didn't learn from their parents like they were supposed to. So I just, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to have the cycle stop with me. And maybe through me sharing these experiences, it could hopefully help you as well. I don't know. That's my hope. Um, cause I'm really putting myself out there. You guys, like, you know, how none of us want to open up our personal lives with anyone from the community because everyone is a gossiper. 
<laughs> Sorry to say it, guys, but yeah, you guys all gossip. It's a lot and it's really bad. It's so bad. It's like everyone, I'm going on little tangents here, but it's all just coming out. So I'm just letting it flow. Um, but yeah, you know, you guys all call yourselves Musulman. One of the biggest, biggest tenets of being Muslim is not talking about people and not judging people. And that's all you guys do. So that's hypocritical. You're not supposed to judge people. So stop doing it. And don't tell me you're Musulman and then you go and talk crap about everybody behind their back. It's disgusting and it's ugly. It really is. It's gross. So please stop. We're better than that and you're better than that. You know, like, come on. Like, think about your grandparents. Like, your grandparents didn't, like... They would never do that kind of stuff. I don't know what, I don't know. I just, I see it so much and it's just, I just think that, you know, as a community, we're better. So why are we doing it? Anyways, that's my rant. So put that to the side. Let's go back to my story. So, um, anyways, so they get married. They have a really bad marriage. And like, again, I had a good relationship with my dad. My dad was like really super cool with me growing up. Um, I was a little bit of a tomboy, so, like, my dad was kind of down with it. <laughs> um, I liked playing outside. I mean, I was, on my fourth birthday, he bought me some roller skates, and I was, like, just rolling around the house with those, and my uncle bought me, like, a little bike with training wheels, and the very next day, I just remember, it was early morning, I was like, Dad, I want to go out on the bike, so we take the bike outside, and I'm like, take the training wheels off, and he's, like, looking at me, like, you know, you've never ridden this, like, no, and I'm like, no, 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 take the training wheels off, I can do it, so he literally takes the training wheels off, and I just start flying on this bike, and that was the kind of relationship I had with my dad, um, I also went to gymnastics, um, which it was like, I was, in 1984, I was four years old, Mary Lou Retton was like the, um, gold medalist. She was the American gymnast that won the gold medal for gymnastics. And I was obsessed with her. I just thought she was like the most amazing thing on earth. And I wanted to be like Mary Lou Retton. So I had to do gymnastics. And so, um, as poor as we were, my parents did it. They knew I loved gymnastics and I would do cartwheels around the house. So, um, you know what? I have to say props to them for being like Afghan refugees, like, here for three or four years and putting their daughter in gymnastics. Um, granted, it was not long lasting. I only did it for a few years because uh, we ended up moving from where the gymnastics um, center was and it just became difficult with uh, dropping me off and picking me back up. But during the years that I was in gymnastics, um, it was pretty cool. I did, you know, like tumbling and acrobatics classes and I had three different gymnastics classes at, at, at one point and um, and on Saturdays, my dad would come watch, you know, he would come sit there and like watch me do gymnastics. And that meant so much to me to like have my dad like there kind of cheering me on and clapping for me and whatever. And I remember even like, um, I was like, I was thinking it was in fourth or yeah, fourth grade. God, I was such a dork, like in elementary school, like there's like, oh, I have so many stories about that, but you know how it was like I with, I'm sure a lot of maybe not like the younger generation that really were born here and grew up here, but the generation that's my age, like we kind of had it tough in that, that assimilating and stuff because we were all like dark little 
Afghans in schools with all the white people. So, um, like, I know I felt, you know, like, different compared to everybody else. But, again, I'm going on tangents. Um, But, and the reason why I'm sharing this with you guys is because... I just want to share the importance of having a bond and a connection with your kid, even if you, whether you're married and you have a regular family family unit or you get divorced, how important that bond is with that kid. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember there was some like talent show and I really, I like, I've always been really creative and into writing. And so I wrote this like skit, this like say no to drugs skit and it, needed two people to do the skit so I had all the lines written out and I was like trying to get one other kid in school to do the skit with me and like I couldn't find it nobody would do it and this one girl finally agreed so we practiced it but on the day of the audition where we had to audition in front of the school in front of the teachers she backed out so I was like oh my god what am I gonna do and I decided you know what screw it like I'm just gonna go up there and just do both parts like what a, what a loser <laughs> really but really like how brave of a little girl to just be like you know what I'm gonna do this anyways um a little loserish and maybe someone should have pulled me aside or you know what uh, shame on those teachers for not finding a kid to like put the kid in my like little little say no to drugs play um but on the day of the auditions, it wasn't even the real talent show, it was the day of the freaking auditions, my dad shows up with the video camera, so proud to, like, film his daughter on the stage, okay, so, and I, like, get up on the stage, and I'm like, oh my god, my dad's there videotaping this, he's, like, so proud, I'm so embarrassed, I don't have a partner to do these lines with, so I get up on the stage, and I, like, start reading the lines to nobody, and then I put my, like, little book bag down, and I switch sides and go on the other side and I reply (laughs) I don't even think I've told this story in like years so I do the lines back on the other side and then I like move back to the other side and reply and I go back and forth by the time I was done hardly anybody was clapping and it's pretty safe to say that I did not get cast into the school talent show so um my little heart was broken, but I eventually got over it. Um, but my dad was so freaking proud. And he had like this whole stupid thing on videotape. Um, and we came back home and we like watched it and like he was just so proud. And it was a complete bust, you know? It was like a complete failure and a complete bust. But he didn't care. He w- it was what was important to my dad. And why he was so excited was that I tried and I did something that took me out of my comfort zone. And that's the foundation and the core of my relationship with my dad. That's who my dad has was for me growing up. He always encouraged me, supported me, and was kind of like nearby to like let me know like it's going to be okay, but I trust you that you can do it. So he helped me gain a sense of confidence in myself at a really young age. Um, and we used to go bike riding together and like, he would go like really, really far, like for miles and miles. And I just wanted to bike ride with my dad. He'd go for bike rides on Saturdays and, you know, I would just 
say, Dad, I want to go with you. And he would tell me, and I'm like, no, I could do it. I could do it. And he's like, okay, but I'm not going to slow down for you. And he kept his word. He wouldn't slow down for me. He would go and we would go up these crazy hills and downhills and for miles. And sometimes I'd kind of lose him. And um, then I just, you know, speed up on my little bike as fast as I could to try to catch up with him. And I'd be so tired and winded. But um, it was cool. It was a cool experience for me. And it was great bonding with with my father. Um, And so that was kind of, that was the positive memories that I have growing up and having those kinds of relationships, that part of the relationship with my dad. But the, the dark side, it was, I mean, when he wasn't drinking, he was great. It was like when he was drinking, it was just horrible. And, um, you know, when I say an alcoholic, like he was drunk, like drunk. And he'd come home drunk sometimes after work. Um, and then he and my mom would fight and argue and my mom would argue with him. And it just, it was, it was scary. And sometimes their arguments would get really loud. And it was, they, it, there was no physical abuse, which that I'm thankful for that. There was no physical abuse between my, my parents. And I know, unfortunately, physical abuse is very rampant in the Afghan community amongst parents. Um, that again, that's one of those subjects that nobody talks about, but there was a lot of verbal abuse and a lot of just yelling and screaming. And I remember my sister and I would, you know, late, late at night, this would happen. We would, um, jump out of our beds. Finally, we'd kind of look at each other and we were little kids and we'd, and when I say little kids, I'm talking, she was probably four and five. I was, you know, uh, seven or eight. Um, we'd finally be so scared we jump out of our beds and jump in between our parents like we thought they were going to kill each other they were they were not going to and they obviously didn't but the screaming and yelling was just so loud that it scared us so then we would jump in between them and we'd cry because we were so scared and we'd tell them to stop fighting and um you know it was that kind of stuff is like traumatizing you know and those things like affect you so this kind of you know i know we're talking about divorce but this, this, this goes into like marriage, you know, being angry like that and having fights like that in front of your children, it affects the children. And those things shouldn't happen. Um, when you're married and you have children, your children are your priority. Priority number one, their well-being, their sense of safety, their sense of love, that's it. It's not about you anymore. And that's what I hope that people get from this podcast. Um, or at least one of the things. And again, back then, you know, it was the 80s. And again, there were refugees. And so it's kind of like, you know, they didn't know any better. Um, but today, I'm sorry, you guys don't have that excuse. Everything is out there and available. Books, education, podcasts, movies, um, everything. So that excuse is no longer acceptable. Um, If you have a bad marriage, then counseling is important. Talking it through is important. And in the least, not fighting and going, you know, getting crazy in front of your children is really important. Um. And another thing that, 
I don't know if I want to talk about this on this podcast. I might save it for another one. Um, I think I'm going to save this for this thing for another podcast, but, um, so they pretty much, I mean, if, if my parents got along one time for one random night, it was like the most joyous occasion of my life. I was like, oh my gosh, like my parents are getting along. Like this is like freaking, I don't know, New Year's Eve and Christmas and birthday all wrapped into one. Um, that's how excited I would get. And it was very short lived, <laughs> very short lived. Um, but that was kind of, you know, the growing up the that, you know, what I saw. And I mean, I hate to share this part of the story, but I mean, my dad would even drink and drive. And I know the younger generation, God forbid anybody would drink and drive. You know, everybody's all about the DD, the designated driver. But, um, you know, he would throw us sometimes in the back seat, my sister and I, if, if my mom was at my grandma's and, you know, we'd have this bright idea of going to visit a friend of his or something and, you know, drive drunk with us two little kids in the backseat of the car. So I don't see that kind of thing happening that much now, but, um, but, um, that was, you know, that was part of our experience. And, um, so anyways, they, got officially divorced in around 1990 and one of the things that had kept my mom you know later when we talk about this that had kept her from getting divorced sooner was she was reliant on my dad and you know she was not very confident in her English she was not you know confident on how to pay the bills and things like that so she was scared there was a level of fear because she didn't have confidence that she could handle living on her own and being on her own and being separated from my dad. So, but the, what was the, the, the deciding factor for her to make that choice, which think about it at that time, no other Afghans are getting divorced. It's not normal. It's not common. It's not, you know, like no one in the family had ever done that. Um, and she, thought to herself that this is not a way, this is not a healthy environment for my children. And, um, this is only going to get worse. And if I don't protect the children, um, it's going to severely impact them. Um, and so that's why she chose to get a divorce finally. And, she did something that was really tough for her to face her family and say, Hey, I'm going to do this. Um, and you know what the family, everybody knew what my dad was like. So they supported her decision and, um, they didn't, the immediate family didn't give her that backlash. Um, but I'm sure, you know, she was, afraid and scared and embarrassed of what other families and other Afghans or the community would say. But she did something courageous um, and overcame the fear to protect her children. Um, And it was the right choice because, you know, the environment was not a healthy environment the way that it was. Um, And One of the things that, you know, the communication and the talking, it just, it just didn't, it just wasn't there that much. Um, So we didn't know how to communicate about it. 
and people around me now, Afghans that I know that are getting divorced and stuff and they have small children, it's one of the things that I, I tell them that I try to remind them. When you're a kid and you're going through that and your parents are divorcing, your world is upside down. Um, and it's, it's important to talk to your kids. And like I said, it's not about you anymore. It's about your kids. And, you know, I don't blame my parents. I don't blame my mom. She did the best that she could. Um, But, you know, that's one of the things that I tell, you know, people that I know that are going through that, um, that talk to your kids and make sure they're okay and they're going to have emotions and they need to have their emotions. Like we didn't express our emotions. We, we kept it, we suppressed it and we kept it to ourselves. Um, And that's that's not healthy. It's not healthy and it it will affect you for the rest of your life if you don't deal with those emotions. So it's like let them have that no matter what it looks like. Talk to them about it. Ask them questions because they're not going to necessarily know what to say or how to say it or how to express themselves. And because and in our culture, because this communication about your feelings and all that, it's not a normal thing. It's like we don't like do it. Um, so we don't know how to do it, right? And then now you have a kid and now you now you're going through divorce and you don't know how to communicate with your kid and how to get them through the process. So that's why I'm putting myself out there and doing this podcast. It's to help us kind of get through generational trauma. And um, because if we don't, it's going to affect all of the future generation of our kids. Um, Whether we're Americanized or we want to stay traditional Afghan, whatever it is. But it's something that needs to, we need to break that part of the cycle. Um, And we're not going to be able to if we don't get through our own traumas and our own issues. So that was the, you know, that's the, that's the other part, um, was just that, that, you know, we didn't have that opportunity to express ourselves and it wasn't that nobody like asked us. It's just, you know, it's like, I, you know, maybe my mom didn't know how or whatever it was, but, um, you know, she did, she really did the best that she could. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes like, you know, we have discussions or whatever. I'll, 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 say you know we didn't have we didn't live our lives with a glass with a full glass with a full cup of water um you know if I can use that analogy like you know we had a half a cup of water and as a to to grow properly with everything that you need to really truly be a functioning person you need a full cup of water And so sometimes my mom gets really mad. You know, how could you say that? I gave you guys everything. I did everything. And I try to remind her that I'm not, 
you know, sometimes she doesn't understand those conversations. So then I have to not have those conversations with her because I don't want to offend her. But that's not what I'm trying to say. You know, she really did the best she could. I mean, come on. She was a refugee that came to America with, you know, upon arrival, didn't speak a word of English. She learned how to speak English. She, you know, um, got a job, worked, made money, eventually divorced my dad, took care of my sister and I on her own. She worked a full-time job. She, while working, a few years later, she wanted to become a hairdresser. So she would work full-time and then go to school to get her cosmetology license. And then eventually she bought a house. And then eventually she opened up her own business, you know. And this is like a little Afghan lady from Afghanistan, refugee, you know. That's that's some real shit. So, I, you know, I, I give props to my mom you know, um, and, and she, and she did, she did a great job. She did the best she could and she did a great job. So, um, you know, we do fight a lot. I have to tell you guys that, <laughs> but it's because we're both really independent, strong women, um, both alphas. So we fight, but at the end of the day, when it boils down, um, I have a lot of respect for my mom because of, who she is and how strong she is and the choices that she's made. And, you know, she's had it tough. She's had it tough. Um, but, uh, anyways, going back to our main topic of divorce. Um, so after the divorce, um, after the divorce, there was a lot, there was much more peace in our lives. Um, we, my dad had visitation. So my mom had full custody. My dad, um, had visitation rights. So he would see us, um, he lived in a different town, um, and he got remarried, uh, which I had mentioned in the first podcast. Um, so he would pick us up on the weekends or every other weekend. I can't really remember, but you know, and then we would spend the day together. He'd come into town, pick us up. We'd go out to eat or spend the day at the beach or the park or go see a movie or go to the mall, you know, whatever it was. And we had, you know, it wasn't every day. It wasn't every, um, for a whole weekend. It was one full day once a week or every other week. I can't really, really remember. Um, but it was nice, you know, we got to spend time with him. Um, and the other part, I have to share this part too, was, you know, I'd mentioned that, you know, he had gotten married to, uh, someone that was Filipino, um, who, by the way, I, 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 I grew to love eventually very much, but when he had first married her, he also didn't tell us that he got married. That was the other part. God, I swear to God, you guys, like I will write a book about all this one day, but, um, I like accidentally found out that he got married and it was, it shattered me. Like it really did. Like it shattered me to my core. I just, it was like my whole world had crumbled. Like I was like, what the F? Um, and again, it goes back to just, you know, it's not in our culture to like know how to talk to our kids about stuff. It's like, you know, you just do things or you hide them or whatever. And that's why I I talk about that duality thing in the, in podcast number two, like how, you know, you can't live a double life and it's, you you got to be, you know, you're going to hurt people. And my dad definitely did not go about getting remarried the right way. Um, and again, you know, they did the best they could. So again, I, you know, I try to come from a higher place and offer forgiveness to my dad um, for some of his bad choices. 
And that's my choice to forgive him. Um, some people that know my whole life story in really intimate details, they will tell me that, you know, I shouldn't offer my dad forgiveness or, you know, um, whatever, but that's my choice. And I choose to be a forgiving person and I love my dad. Um, but yeah, he didn't tell us that he got married and, um, I accidentally found out and, um, what he should have done is, you know, first had a talk with my mom to let her know, Hey, you know, there's someone I'm seeing. How should I talk to the kids about this? Um, it should be discussed with the parents first, like, and they should come up with a game plan on what's the appropriate way of doing it. Um, which was definitely not done. Um, and then, you know, possibly slowly incorporating that person into the, you know, into the kids' lives. And then, um, you know, the parent that marries the other person, the new person, that's their choice. <clears throat> um, and the kid is, has to kind of adapt to this like new person. It's not the kid's choice. So the other thing that my dad did that was not, um, he, he shouldn't have gone about this this way, but that one day that we would get to see him, um, it was always he always brought his wife, which why wouldn't he? That's his wife, right? They're going to, you know, you're married. You do it. You know, husband and wives do everything together, but we never got to spend quality time with our dad alone. It was always with this person. And because it was thrown into a thrown at us very abruptly, you know, there was, we weren't communicating a lot. So it just, you know, it's kind of like when you go to like a Maimon's house, like at home, you're kind of rowdy, but then you go to like a Maimon's house and you're on your best behavior, right? Because you, you know, you don't want to embarrass yourself or your parents in front of the Maimon. Um, wait, you don't go to a Maimon's house. Maimon comes to your house. <laughs> I mean like a Cheshaw's house. Sorry. <laughs> when you go to like a Cheshaw's house or like a Begona's house or something like that, when your parents takes you, when you're like a kid, like you're on your best behavior. Um, so we were just always like on our best behavior. You know, our dad would pick us up and like a Begona ladies in the car. That's how I felt. That's how we felt. And I like hated her. Like I hated her. I hated that she, you know, she was with my dad. I hated that she was there with us. I hated that we had to like pretend to be nice to her, you know, or we, we know we had to be nice to her. Like I hated the whole thing. And so, and I couldn't say it. I couldn't say like, I don't like this or dad, I want to hang out with you by myself or just, you know, my sister and I, um, because again, we just, you know, that wasn't part of how we were brought up either. I mean, it wasn't like, we weren't allowed to talk. I don't know. It's just no one ever asked us about our feelings. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, and then I was like, I like hated this woman for like the first three years that they were married. Like I hated her and I was a mean to her, like this poor lady. And finally, I remember I was like, I think I hit like 14 and one day I was just sitting there and I thought to myself, I'm like, what are you doing, Arzo? Like, why are you being mean to this poor lady? Like, she loves your dad. She's nice to your dad. Your dad's happy. Everyone's great. Your mom's happy. Like, why? You're the only mean one. And like, you're the only one that's like causing problems here. So it literally was like this one day that it hit me. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, I'm not going to be mean to her anymore. Like, that's this is just stupid. So I finally got over it. 
and I accepted her. And after that, that was it. You know, like I cared about her. I loved her. She was, she really was a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, and she cared about us. She cared about my dad's family. And I mentioned in the first podcast that, you know, she's Filipino and she's Christian. So, and she was a faithful person. Like she would go to church on Sundays and, um, you know, she celebrated Christmas and they had a Christmas tree. And, and that was also kind of interesting too, because, you know, growing up with my parents, we, you know, um, I know a lot of families now are starting to do the Christmas tree thing. And even like on that, what's that? Um, there's an Afghan group of women on Facebook, soul sisters, this topic comes up about Christmas trees and like a lot of people are starting to do it. It's more not because they're Christian, but it's more the kind of, you know, Christmas is very, American culture too, aside from it just being Christian. Um, so, uh, a lot of Afghan families are doing it and then there's a lot of Afghan families that are against it and whatever. So, and in the eighties, it wasn't a common thing yet. Um, but you know, we would see it with our friends' houses or the kids would come to school with, you know, talk about their Christmas presents and we didn't have that stuff. My mom actually would sneak little presents for us and then would tell us like Santa Claus had sent it. And like, I just remember this one time we like, we lived in this little tiny house and we had, um, we didn't have a fireplace. We had a wall heater and we woke up on Christmas morning. We didn't expect anything because we've never had presents for Christmas, but it was like, I think it was 1987 or 88. I was like seven or eight years old. It was a couple years before my parents got divorced. We wake up and we walk out to the hallway and we see presents under the wall heater. And my sister and I looked at each other like in complete shock. Like what? So we grabbed the presents and we run into my parents' room and we're like, we're like, what is this? And my mom's like, oh, it's from Santa Claus. And we're like, what? What do you mean? Like, we don't have a fireplace. How would Santa get in here? Like, we totally were, like, buying into this whole, like, Santa Claus idea. And my mom was like, oh, Santa Claus came through the, through the heater. <laughs> and, like, my dad was, like, trying to totally be such a killjoy. No, no, there's no Santa Claus. We're not, you know, Christian. We don't celebrate Christmas. Your mom put those there. And, like, so we're kind of looking at our dad, like, that made more sense. But then we're kind of hopeful because, you know, kids, you know, you want to believe in this kind of stuff. So then we, like, look at our mom and, and our mom's like, no, 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 it was Santa Claus. Your dad doesn't know what he's talking about. It was Santa Claus. <laughs> so we got really excited. We opened up our little presents. And, like, we were so happy. And then after that, we actually celebrated Christmas. Every year after that, while we were children, my mom would get us, like, just presents, like, just crazy presents, like, you know, it was just, you know, whatever she could afford, but she just made it fun. Um, and opening up presents, you know, in the morning and it was just, it was, it was fun. And it was more, it wasn't about being Christian or religious. It was just because all the other kids at school were opening up their presents and everybody would come back after Christmas holiday and talk about all their presents. And as kids, we wouldn't have that opportunity. And then you feel left out as a kid and you feel not only is your name different, you look different, you feel ostracized, and you don't feel like you're part of the group, and you feel really different. And as a kid, that's not a fun feeling. So again, props to my mom in the 80s. She kind of was a little ahead of her time, and she hooked it up for Christmas time and made sure that we didn't feel left out. So um, anyways, so I, apparently you guys have realized I go on little tangents. Um, but uh, so yeah, so back to my dad's step 
or his wife yeah so she's christian and so then they would have a christmas tree and so i just remember like looking at my dad one time and i remember i think i called him out and i was like really dad i'm like you used to never let us have christmas presents and now you have a christmas tree in your house and then he kind of like just looked at me and like laughed sheepishly but um anyways you know for the most part they had a good life and they it was it was a loving you know relationship between them and that that was nice for me to see that for us to experience that it's possible to have a peaceful marriage and life and like whatever my mom didn't remarry after that she she was kind of like and my mom was actually really beautiful like my mom was like my mom's still gorgeous um but like really in her prime she was like next level like um really really like show-stopping like if you you know she anywhere she went people would just notice her um you know, not, she was just beautiful, just beautiful features. And then her fashion sense was like ridiculous. Like she just like looked like she just came out of a magazine or something like that. Um, so she didn't get remarried because, and she could have, you know, she really could have. Um, but she didn't because we were still young and, you know, it was two girls in the house. And her thing was, I don't want to bring like a, you know, a Mardaka in the house. You'd say, my chim So that was like her thing. She was like scared that, you know, if she brought a strange man into the house or got, not like that, but like where she got married and, you know, whatever, that what if you tried to touch us or molest us or something like that. And because of that, she truly took the mama bear route and sacrificed her youth and her opportunity to get married and have somebody in her life because she wanted to protect her children. Um, and again, it just goes back to, you know, she's, she's an OG, you know, she's, she's, she's a good mama bear. Um, so that was kind of that experience. Um, and, uh, I got to look at the time here, guys. I want to see, I think I've been talking for a long time. I'm going to try to wrap it up, but, um, so that was the divorce experience. And then, so after, once we kind of hit that normalcy place, um, the visitation was good. You know, we'd spend holidays with dad sometimes, you know, we'd kind of like go back and forth and like whatever. And there was peace between my parents. They didn't have a relationship in the sense where they would like call each other, Hey, how's it going or anything like that. But they were civil with each other. And they were civil with each other. They would kind of co-parent, like if there was an issue, you know, we were teenagers and we'd be, you know, causing problems sometimes. So, and if it was too much for my mom, my mom would pick up the phone and call my dad and be like, you know, the you know, or whatever. And then my dad would take a special trip and come out and like scold us. Like, I remember one time I like... I'm not going to share this. Well, no, I'll share it. I like snuck out. I didn't do anything bad, but like, I mean, the bad thing that I did was like, I snuck out when I shouldn't have. And, um, like I didn't do anything with, with, with boys or anything, but I was with a boy, but I, you know, nothing had happened. And, um, I was like really innocent to, to be honest with you, like throughout like all those years. So, um, the, the, the point was, is I just wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I happened to be, there was a boy that was there. So, so my mom obviously, you know, or she ended up finding out and then, um, and then she 
tells my dad and then my dad comes out to see us and oh my god I had never seen like I such I've always had such a good relationship with him like growing up I'd never seen him yell at me like this he yelled at me so hard and he put his hand on his belt like fire was coming out of his ears and his face like you know to the I just remember this تو کجا رفته بودی اگر من یک دفعه دیگه بشتم که تو یک جای رفته بودی من میسنمت آقت میکنم and I was like scared out of my freaking mind like like oh my god like I had just committed like the biggest sin and in retrospect I really didn't I really truly like I was a, a, a good kid um But, you know, he did his job as a dad. You know what I mean? You got to scare your kids sometimes and you got to make sure to keep them in line. And he did that. So, um, you know, in that regards, like I said, they co-parented um, back then even. And also my mom and my stepmom had a good relationship. And that was on both of them. You know, um, my stepmom, like I said, she was a good woman and she was kind and she was loving and um She was a forgiving person and empathetic, very empathetic. And I just remember this one time, like, my mom was sick and they were picking us up to take us, you know, somewhere on the visit. And um, my stepmom was like, you know what, um, let's let's take a little cake for your mom or something. Or she, I think she showed up with a cake. And it was, it was very, it was a kind and generous gesture, you know, like there, the, the divorce and the, my dad being married, it could have been filled with animosity and like the you know like the new wife hating the ex-wife and the ex-wife hating the new wife and then that has a whole other dynamic but they didn't and they were so civil and they were so respectful to each other and you know and then like you know on holidays sometimes my mom would send food or you know whatever and so it was a very cordial and respectful um dynamic which that was a good um that was a good uh uh you know um I don't know what I want to say right now. Not role model, but I mean, I don't know. It was a good image or whatever for us to <clears throat> for us to learn from, or to you know to 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 just see. So, um, all in all, uh, you know, the first part of you know the first ten years was not good in that regards. Bad marriage, lots of yelling and screaming. The next ten was um, a lot better a lot more normal. Um, and that was probably the most normal time in my life. And it became really crazy after that, but that'll be for another podcast. But anyways, I just wanted to kind of share my experience and some of those different like things that happened and hopefully, um, people that are out there, uh, can learn. And also another thing too, I've noticed that a lot of people are, are getting married real young and they're just jumping into it calm down you guys like calm down you don't even know yourself like and especially when we're in america like we're not in afghanistan in afghanistan there's nothing to know you just get married and you have kids and like that's it here you get married young you're gonna grow and you're gonna change who you are and you're gonna learn things and your mind's gonna expand it's just gonna happen here and all of a sudden you're gonna be 25 or you're gonna be 30 and you realize you want to live this whole other life or you're this whole, you have all these other wants and needs and desires and now you're going to get divorced and now you have kids and now, you know, 
you want to avoid divorce. That's the other thing too that I just kind of want to, you know, drive home. If you can, try to avoid it. You know, sometimes I have friends, and again, this is my own experience because I've gone through it. Sometimes I have friends where they're share their stories and the fights with their husbands and like blah blah blah. And I'm like, I don't listen to it. And again, to each their own. So I'm not in their house. I don't know everything, obviously. But it's like, I don't know. To me, I have like five deal breakers. It's alcoholism and like drug abuse, um, like physical abuse, like physical and verbal abuse, like, you know, like domestic violence, Um, being a gambler. That's a big one, guys. Being a gambler is like, that's, that's just as bad as drugs. It's like addiction, you know, Um, being a philanderer, like a cheater Um, and being grossly irresponsible like making really bad life choices that affect your whole family, you know, whether it's financial or, you know, otherwise. Those are like the five big things. Outside of those five big things, like if you got married to someone, you obviously were attracted to them. So the attraction's there. Um, And you, you know, obviously had some things in common. Otherwise, you wouldn't have gotten married. And at least in the beginning, there was communication. So... And if they don't have those five things that I just mentioned, you have something really, a good foundation to build on. And nobody's going to be perfect. There's never going to be a perfect person. And I think that's the other thing. I think people think that there's going to be this like perfect person. Oh, I'm going to divorce my partner and there's going to be somebody better. There isn't. There really isn't. Okay. Trust me. I'm like in my late thirties. I've been out there. There really isn't. Okay. And at the end of the day, it's about it's about finding a partner that that you guys can two people that can respect each other and love each other really love each other if you can respect each other and love each other and communicate and express your feelings that's the other thing and it's hard for us as people to express our feelings it's it's uncomfortable right and it starts as a kid if if you don't have that household where you're able to express your feelings you're going to become an adult that doesn't express your feelings. Then you're going to become an adult that gets married and doesn't express their feelings. And if you're not expressing your feelings in a marriage, that marriage is going to suffer. That relationship is going to suffer if it's, you know, uh, you know, even a non-marriage, you know, relationship. So, so the communication is important, but yeah, if those five, you know, my, those are mine. I mean, you know, I think they're kind of general though. Um, and I'm assuming like trust is there, you know what I mean? Um, trust and honesty, that's, that's an assumption. Um, so if you have, you know, the trust and the honesty, and if you have, um, you know, you're attracted to the person, you know, attraction is important. That's that, you know, it is one of those things. It's, it's, it's a big deal. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and the communication, you have some things to, to really build on. So don't give up on your marriage, you know, as, as much as you can, don't give up on it. And I'm not for cheating. You know, I'm not like, Oh, if your husband cheats or your wife cheats, it's okay. But that needs to be addressed and looked at too. And there could be, especially if you have kids, this is my whole thing too. It's just, if you have kids, you know, if it's just the two of you and you just hate each other, then just be done with it and move on with your lives. It's not worth it. But if you have kids, you owe it to those kids to try to make it work. And as long as like those five major things aren't happening, work on it, you guys. Like just work on that, you know, because 
those little kids need you. They need both parents. They need mom. They need dad. You know, mom nurtures in a special way. Dad protects in a, in a, in a different way. And both parents are needed. That's how they learn. That's how they grow. And they're, they're, they're going to watch you. And so even in, in those cases where, you know, if, if one partner cheats or something, um, maybe there's an underlying reason, you know, like if someone's, there's some people that are true, just freaking disrespectful philanderers that they just cannot keep it in their pants or cannot, you know, just keep committed to one person. I'm not talking about that person. That person, you're a scoundrel, get out of here. So I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about a situation where, you know, you're going through a rough patch in, in, in your relationship or in your marriage and, you know, you're both at fault on something and one person in a very non-normal way um, has gone outside the marriage or something or outside of that relationship. Um, maybe they didn't feel safe in the marriage or the relationship or whatever it was. If there's love there, work through it. Find a way to work through it. Get a counselor, talk it out, and find a way to work through it. It's not the end of the world. Um, And again, not to say it should be a get-out-of-jail-free card or whatever, but just work through things as best as you can and communicate. And at the end of the day, um, like I said, there's not a perfect person that exists, and it's about... Who are you going to put up with? That's really what it comes down to. Because we all have bullshit in our lives. We all have drama. None of us are perfect. We all have issues, whatever it is. Um, so it's like, who do you love enough to put up with? That's how you should look at love, I think. Um, who can you love enough to put up with for a long time? You know? So um, that's my take on marriage and relationships and divorce so hopefully that helped you guys and um if not i'm scared to hear what your reactions are and uh um whatever i don't know i don't know what to tell you so anyways thanks again for tuning in um hopefully you learned something or were entertained or whatever um and uh my personal instagram if you guys want to follow me at the Arzo Yusuf, A-R-Z-O-Y-U, S like Sam, U, F like Frank. Um, And uh, this podcast is available on all the major platforms. And it is called Truth Talk with the Real American Afghan. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time. One last thing, guys. It's always been a dream of mine to help the Afghan orphans, and I know it's one of your dreams too. Social entrepreneurship is my method of doing that. For any person that purchases a product on my website, sexybossbabe.com, I'll donate 50% of the proceeds to my favorite charity that supports Afghan orphans, the HRF Foundation. If you use the code TRUTH at checkout, you'll also get free shipping. I really believe that we can create change together as a community. If you'd like to learn more about the great work that HRF does, please visit their website, hrfcares.org. Thanks, everyone.